Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risk, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hello and welcome to the CISO's Gambit. I'm your host, Sean Cordero, and today I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Hang Mock, CISO of APAC at Zscaler. Hang was most recently the CISO for AGL Energy, where he led the cyber technology risk and data governance functions, kind of sounds like all of the functions, <laughs> responsible for keeping AGL's operational technology, information, systems, and people. Hang, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. I was uh, having a conversation over the weekend with a, a good friend of mine who is just about to step into uh, his very first CISO role. And we were talking about what he could or couldn't expect. And I told him, I said, listen, on paper, it sounds pretty straightforward. And even if you've been the deputy, um, once you actually step into it, expectations and reality sometimes just don't align. Now, <clears throat> throughout your career, I imagine that you've had a lot of opportunities to figure out what the path forward was for you, career was, which then eventually got you into the top leadership. In that experience, what was it that got you started? I mean, did you start out like technologist? Were you GRC? Yeah, definitely. So, Sean, I think the one thing that I would call out is that the role of a CISO comes in many different forms and the path to a CISO can be different for everyone. There isn't a straight path that is followed by most people, you know, different experiences, different jobs, all these particular experiences assist with that uh, role and, and going to, to becoming a CISO. So if I look at myself, I started my first role as actually a web developer in a startup in the late 90s and early 2000s. So it was a non-security path that that first started my that I first started in as a as a technologist. Interesting. I, usually, we're all cut from infrastructure in some way, shape, or form. That's it's rare that I get to find somebody that came from a, started out as an app dev. I think that's going to be the path forward for the next generation of CISOs, but yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was essentially working for a startup and, you know, the interesting thing about that was it was sort of with technology that was, I would say just a little bit early. So, you know, doing web development with uh, Java at that time, uh, doing a sort of ad based, um, shopping cart type capability. Uh, it was just a little bit too early in terms of where that startup was going. But some of the key things that you learned in that particular role was a little bit of winging it, a little bit of going on the edge, um, being curious, having to, I guess, work it out as it as it came along because you're thrown in the deep end of, of trying to uh, deliver a product to a market which was uh, early and, and being sort of strategic and being able to I guess, uh, look at the angles and, and being able to, you know, work and, and try to market that particular product. So, 
yeah, interesting first start as a from a career perspective in in that particular space. I guess you know where I sort of went from there was it was a quick uh, it was a quick uh, couple of months in that particular role. Um, that particular business ended up folding um, as part of the the dot com boom, and uh, I ended up ended back in Australia at that point in time. So it was. Uh, working out what I wanted to do next uh, from a career perspective. So when did the security bug hit you? How did the whole risk management, because to go from development, I mean, it's not a huge stretch, but the way of thinking is quite different, right? Because we tend to work in a lot of gray area versus something that's founded in computer science, like a coding language. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess for me it was if I look at my my background um, coming back, I ended up in a in a consulting firm in one of the big four uh, firms, and what that gave me was at that point in my career, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was I was a little bit you know lost after the whole experience of of going through the dot com boom. I ended up back in in consulting to try to work out you know where the passion and where the where I wanted to go from a from a career perspective, and and that's what sort of led me into security. I sort of bumbled into it really at the end of the day, at the start of my career, uh, and being in consulting, it just meant that the work you did was varied. So I did everything from auditing, you know, bus contracts at that point in time, all the way through to security penetration testing, security integration, and delivery of capability and working in multiple industries just gave me a broad experience in terms of how different organizations functioned, worked, what were their drivers. Um, and essentially, that uh, helped me solidify my uh, career and passion in, in cyber. I guess prior to that, you know, computers were always things that I uh, enjoyed tinkering with and enjoyed, uh, I guess, getting into. But I think the challenge of just looking at things differently, the continual learning, um, the different angles within security uh, that were there, whether it was from a risk perspective, a technology perspective, uh, people perspective even, and that variety in the work uh, ultimately led me down the path of, of, I guess, firming a career in, in cyber. You know, you mentioned consulting. I also have a consulting background. I, I'm curious. I have certainly my opinion on this, but there is so much that we do that often has a consultant-like smell where it's like, oh, I'm actually kind of being looked at as a third party here. Would you recommend to somebody that says, I'd like to become a chief information security officer or chief security officer, would you suggest to somebody that, hey, you might want to spend a little bit of time in consulting to get an appreciation for that, not just that mentality, but more ideally that approach that a lot of top consulting firms have in terms of engagement? Look, I mean, I think that the skills that you learn in consulting, um, you can apply in the in the CISO role. If you think about, I guess, the things that you're doing as part of being a CISO, a large part of that is stakeholder management. It's about contextualization. It's about tailoring the message to the right audience. So whether you're dealing with a business person, a legal person, uh, a technology person, right? The messaging and the way that you go about having to communicate risk, communicate a solution, 
you're going to have to contextualize that to the audience that you're dealing with. And then part of that and the skill set that you learn from a consulting background, I think, uh, can be very applicable to the way that you deliver a message, the way that you position something, the way that you package something for, for the audience that you're engaging with at that point in time. Now, when you are moving from that more hands-on technical web developer, did you find that those skills also translated? For example, we're talking about consulting, right? Because this is where I see a lot of either new practitioners or folks that are interested in the space, they ask, where should I start? And I've always believed that having some level of technical expertise or acumen is necessary to carry the day forward. Otherwise, uh, as we've seen with a lot of chief information security officers that don't have the technical depth to really understand sometimes the gravity of a situation, I've seen this in a handful of scenarios. How did you find your translation of technical skills into the role? And do you agree or disagree if that's a requirement kind of moving forward? So I think that, you know, a CISO in every situation is leaning on all of their experience that they've brought into the role. They're having to consume copious amounts of information extremely quickly. They're having to make decisions based on uh, the information they receive. And some of those decisions are going to be technical in nature. So I guess in terms of the way that you approach that, you can either rely heavily on your team to be able to provide the right opinion to you if you don't come from a technical background, or if you do come from a technical background, then you're able to sort of decipher that information a little bit quicker in order to contextualize where you need to to make that particular decision. So I think that you know, there's there's two schools of thoughts around that. Um, personally, I actually, when I was in the role, thinking about it and thinking about the broadness of the topics that you're dealing with from a technical perspective, whether it's having to run an incident uh, that has just occurred within your organization and being able to decipher whether your security operations guys are telling you the right things and thinking strategically in the right way, or are they actually uh, looking at it from a very narrow perspective? So being able to, I guess, lean on your background experience, technical expertise to be able to decipher um, what your staff is telling you, as well as then to be able to think about that technical scenario and how you would translate it into a board level conversation as an example around you know, ransomware and the impact and business drivers around that. I think that coming from a technical background, you're able to bridge that translation better and lean on the experience of what you know and what you have to be able to, I guess, almost become full stack, right? So this concept of a, a full stack CISO that can both talk from a technical perspective and translate, and then also present that in a manner that can be consumed by broad experiences and broad uh, communities within your business is just going to make you a better sizer. So I think that's the that's the sort of perspective around you know 
how important uh, some of those baseline uh, technical skills are to assist you to do the job better. On that note, one of the things that I've always wondered uh, really about every single person that I've come across in my life is when you get to a point in your career where you start kind of thinking back on missed opportunities, the best opportunities you had, all of the good things and the people that have come in and out of your life professionally. When you start thinking about your early career or even now, if you could pluck out one experience, what would that one thing be that you would pull back and use that as a highlight that you would then pass on to a CISO and say, look, I learned this thing the hard way. And this was the way that I was able to translate that and be successful. If I think about that one thing um, of, of my career where, you know, when I first stepped into the, the CISO role itself, and I was thinking, well, this is the first 90 days. What am I, I going to do? What am I going to learn? Um, how am I going to, I guess, make myself successful in this particular role? And I think the one piece of advice is that uh, you don't have to do things the way that it was done before, right? It's when you, when you rock up into this role, you go about uh, having a look at the current state, you look at all the way that the business wants to function, and then you make a call on you know, how you want to operate, how you want to structure, you know, what, what's the best way forward for, for your business, and don't be... I guess afraid to challenge the norm at that point in time within within the organization, right? To position it in the right way for where you feel that the organization uh, needs to go. So being bold, being uh, taking some risk, right? So it's uh, being part of being part of any sort of leadership function is thinking about where are you going to take that risk, where are you going to push things forward, how are you going to make things better, and always having that mentality of not being afraid to, I guess, set up things in a way that you will be successful within within the role itself. And whether that is, you know, I guess, uh, having a deputy, uh, whether that is making sure that you've got the right um, people in place to, to help you be successful, um, it's thinking about it strategically and, I guess, aligning where the business needs to go with the way that you uh, want to sort of structure structure that function going forward. Well, I think we've all been in some sort of situation, either as individual contributors or as leaders, where we're walking into an organization that's already in motion, right? I mean, rarely do we ever get the chance to build something from zero. There's almost always some kind of infrastructure some kind of program, et cetera, et cetera. What would you say to somebody that is, let's say they're walking in post-completion of the budget cycle, they're taking on the role, maybe they're the first CISO or they're uh, being promoted up because the other one left, and now they're inheriting a budget that they didn't approve or didn't want, technology stack that may or may not solve for the current business need or the particular key business cases, obviously 
what we saw in COVID, et cetera. We can talk about that to death, but what would you say to somebody that is literally day one? It's like, here's your team, here's your budget, here's your technology stack, make it work. Yeah, so I think uh, I think we've been thrown into that situation uh, a fair bit as as sizes as we move into an organization. So for that, I would say that you know building out your vision and strategy uh, as a as a sizo and almost doing a, a reset, right? So you're inheriting a whole lot of capability, a people, an operating model. At that point in time, it's about analyzing the the current state, looking at where the business is going thinking about next year's budget and, and commercially where you want to uh, align things. So, you know, whether that is, uh, and, and then going broad across the business, right, as a starting point to work out, okay, where does the business want to go? What are the drivers? What are the business drivers? Strategically, technology, uh, what are the things that it is thinking about going forward, whether that is, you know, from a strategy perspective, going to cloud, whether it's, um, you know, consolidation, simplification, whether it's cost reduction, right? So understanding the drivers of, of technology and the business, looking at the regulatory framework within your organization and what's applicable and whether there are drivers from an external perspective, going back and looking at the audit register and risk register. So what are the key risks within uh, the, that are applicable to the business and what are the issues that have been highlighted both from an internal and external audit perspective? And then talking to your team, right? What are the things that were done well previously? What were the things that were not done well? And then being able to bring all that together to form your strategy around people, process, and technology, and consequently then looking at it from the perspective of, operating model, cost, um, what are the strategic big rocks that you need to focus on uh, to align with the business going forward, and then building out your program and even positioning it at a board level to be able to work out from a CapEx and OpEx perspective uh, where you sort of need to head over the next year in the short-term roadmap perspective and then look at it from from the three to three to five year perspective as well so it's about bringing all those particular components together yeah so one of the things that we were talking about is what you start doing once you get onboarded right and you mentioned you put together your you know 30 60 90 and, and this is really no different than any other role however one of the things that I've observed over many years is how the role in and of itself continues to morph and in some cases become something completely different. I'll give you an example. I've seen a lot of security teams that don't have operational security responsibility. So they tend to be heavily built on GRC type processes, GRC type focus. And not saying that there's anything wrong with that. That's simply a a model that I believe came as a byproduct of IT saying, security, you can't have any kind of access to, to our tools. So you tell us directionally what you want, and we will provide it to you as a service. There are other team models as well, obviously, where there is a heavy operational burden. I'm curious with t- 
today's kind of landscape, do you see organizational structure for a CISO's organization staying fairly in line with these kinds of models, which are kind of the prevalent ones, or do you see it evolving into something else? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that if you look at the the trend in larger organizations as well, there's also this concept of a cyber fusion center with, uh, you know, fraud, physical security, and cyber security all as one unit. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer in terms of, you know, where the security organization is going to land from an operating model perspective. It's going to be what's right for that organization at that point in time. And at, things will always continue to change. It's just like cyber, you know, when the threats change, uh, the organization adapts. So from the perspective of, I think, an uh, operating model, personally, having an operational capability, I believe, assists the cyber team with actually demonstrating delivery, which is a key piece to minimizing risk, managing risk, uh, within within the organization itself. So I think that having an operational capability is definitely an advantage uh, to a large extent. Um, you know, the other aspect that you think about is that you have a OPEX and CAPEX budget to run as part of your software uh, tools and, and capability as well. So it provides the CISO or the CISO with the ability to move a little bit more from a commercial perspective within within the organization and look at the levers that it has to financially meet um, some of these uh, threats, risks, um, and a way to sort of position that from an ongoing perspective. And I think the other, the other aspect is that it gives the CISO perspective. So being able to I guess, strategize and then actually implement controls within your environment uh, gives you the full view of, you know, something from uh, a business objective all the way traceable through to uh, a technical control being implemented. If the structure of the security office itself will continue to develop. So for example, infrastructure teams, as IT as code becomes more prevalent, infrastructure teams are going to start looking a little bit closer to app teams. How do you see that change or any other changes in the space affecting not just the CISO's role, but his or her organization? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the whole shift of moving left is is definitely uh, things that cyber teams are, are dealing with at the moment in terms of DevSecOps. How do you actually get code secure at the start, there will be a shift to, to automation. There will be a shift towards, I guess, just uh, having security inbuilt into things as, the, as things progress. I mean, that operating model, we sort of see it, see the beginnings of that today. And I think that that will continue to, to go on because it drives efficiency at the end of the day. It's much easier to fix a problem in code than to test for it and then to retrofit that particular security fix later on. So the whole movement of where uh, Agile is uh, is part of the way of working for an organization is definitely mean definitely means that, you know, cyber processes, cyber teams uh, need to, uh, I guess, uh, shift, shift left 
And um, yeah, certain functions are definitely going to have to adapt to that particular process. One of the things that you're reminding me of is my router administrator and firewall administrator days uh, with dedicated hardware. And these days, not having to have that requirement of, oh, we got to patch the operating system. Okay, it's patched. Uh-oh, we have to do a firmware update. Let's do the firmware update. We're now with cloud-delivered services if they're done properly. This is all happening, but you're never aware of it, right? It's all from behind the scenes as part of the service. Meanwhile, um, I have friends of mine right now that are uh, running around trying to get uh, the latest vulnerability from a particular vendor's set of technologies uh, that is exposing their environment to potentially malicious actors. So uh, to me, it's like such a different model that it, if you haven't dealt with it or worked with it before, it's like, okay, so if I don't have to run around and do firmware updates, what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, I, I take a bit more of a simplistic approach to thinking about the problem because the reality is that you've got limited resources, you've got limited skills, and what you need to do is you need to focus in on the highest value pieces for your organization that are contextual. So I think that you know organizations that, that know that it's hard to find cyber people within the marketplace itself will naturally shift towards a model where you're looking at what is the right mix of, I guess, services the right mix of people, the right mix of, you know, where you want to focus value from your cyber organization into, into your business and where you're going to get the biggest bang for buck. So things which are less contextual to your organization, uh, you will go for a service. And I think some of the benefits around what you said, not having to lifecycle manage, not having to patch, having that particular piece uh, managed for you, as well as then leveraging the scale of, you know, cloud-based services across the entire ecosystem means that there is the ability for things like collective defense to come into play. Uh, it means that if an organization is breached somewhere else in the world, then collectively, everyone else that is part of that service will be protected. And I think that the benefit of that definitely outweighs the whole I guess, operational nightmare to a certain extent of, of having to, you know, ask for CapEx every single year to lifecycle manage uh, hardware kit, patching it. You know, those to me are, are fairly low value uh, operating activities that for a security engineer, you want them to be focusing in on the higher value things that are relevant to your business, whether it's, you know, looking at the threat profile, whether it's, um, you know, red teaming, whether it's looking at, you know, where are the gaps within your environment as opposed to the day-to-day -day just BAU. Yeah, that, that I think is going to be one of the best outcomes of the adoption of cloud-delivered security when the model is correct uh, in the sense that Yes, it's focusing on higher value things. However, the one thing that sticks out to me is when the individual is, let's say, an engineer, and he or she is responsible for 
system updates, all these other pieces. And they've built a career, let's say, on a particular verticalized set of vendor capabilities. Because what I have found that we have a lot of practitioners out there in the space, and I started my career this way, so I don't see it as a negative. It's just this is the way I see it sometimes, that they are security experts, but really when you dig in, you find that it's limited to a particular set of vendor or vendors. So they're almost like tool specialists with general security expertise. And this change that you're referring to, I think is going to demand a rethinking of that whole model. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that what it means is that, you know, we're moving away from, I guess, specialists over to, you know, people that can think a little bit more broadly, um, that have a change mentality uh, as part of their, I guess, way of thinking as well. So it's just like the, the security environment and the threat environment. If I look back over the 20 plus years that I've been in cyber, every year has been different. There's been a different threat. Uh, there's been a different change. Uh, there's been a different risk uh, that is applicable to the to the business as, as things have become more digitally connected. And there's been that natural flow of change throughout uh, all our careers. So being able to, I guess, think about, uh, you know, change in that way that we have to be adaptive a little bit. And, and naturally, that fits into the way that cyber and, and security is positioned. It's a constantly evolving uh, industry. And what it means is that uh, as that changes, if we just look at operating models, like you said, you know, historically, we all used to manage hardware on-prem. Um, we used to manage the tool sets, the security stacks in a central architecture type manner. Well, things now have totally changed as, uh, you know, there's been the consumption of services across the cloud, across uh, public cloud and, and software as a service. So naturally, there has been a change in the way that we have to think about it. Every organization has become a product company developing uh, tools and products that are relevant to their business. So I guess as things and the environment has changed, as the business landscape has changed, it just means that cyber people will also need to naturally look at that and, and think about, you know, in three years' time, is this type of role going to be uh, still around? Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's part of that. What would you say yeah. to somebody that's going through that? Like you talk to somebody who's, you know, they're, they're experts in one particular thing. I used to be the same way many, many years ago. And it's like, if it's not that technology, it's nothing. But there is a change that's happening. We see it on the daily. Obviously, we at Zscaler are driving a lot of that change amongst other companies. But if you're looking at your staff and you're trying to set them up for success in this new operating model. Uh, always thinking about how we invest in people to give them, one, career growth, uh, where their aspirations may lie. But the second part of that is looking at some of the skills that they may not have and being able to invest in them in those whether it's a different technical skill set whether it's a soft skill set but giving them perspective of being able to do more than you know what they currently do to help them with their careers so it's a continual assessment of looking at 
you know, where are you currently today? Where do you want to go? And, you know, how do I, as a, as a CISO, uh, get you to the right spot to make you successful in your career? If it's not within this organization, it could be in another organization. And being flexible to know that people are your most important resource within, within the organization itself and seeing them as a, as a long-term investment um, is a win-win for both yourself as a CISO as well as uh, the person itself because, you know, you're broadening their career, you're helping them with their career, you're guiding them along the path of wanting to continually get better across multiple disciplines. Hang, as we draw the show to a close here, what would you say to somebody, you know, like my friend that uh, is stepping into a new role as a CISO, it's the first time he's ever done it, what would be one or two things that you believe a new leader with this type of responsibility, what do you wish somebody would have said to you at the beginning of your journey as a security executive? The first piece of advice that I would give, Sean, is that essentially when you're coming into this type of executive role, you're going to be pulled from post to pillar. So the contextualization piece and knowing clearly that you're going to be dealing with a whole bunch of different issues on a day-to-day basis, whether that's board issues, whether it's a cyber incident, whether it's an escalation on a project, whether it's people issues, the broadness of the role and the need for you to continually switch from context to context is something that you need to be aware of when you come into this type of exec role. It's probably one of the hardest roles within any organization because of the responsibility, but also because of the broadness of the role itself. So knowing that and being able to be mentally prepared for that means that at the end of the day, balancing work life around finding those things which are non-screen related, finding those things that will help you to build your resilience and take your mind off uh, everything which is which is always on because of the responsibility and the fact that leaders are going to be looking to you as that subject matter expert within the organization to provide that advice to guide to be that pillar and to handle the cyber security protection detection response for the entire business The second part that I would really call out is that it's important to be commercial and understanding the need that you will have to be managing a cost center as well as a budget. And so being aligned in terms of knowing what the financial levers are for your function and your business. So looking at and understanding CapEx and OpEx, as well as how you are able to best manage your cost center from a day-to-day perspective is is another really important skill to have moving into a sizer role and having that large budget responsibility to put the right building block blocks building blocks in place in order to manage risk appropriately within your organization and the third piece that i would call out is the the need to almost have a deputy sizer within the role itself I quickly found that there wasn't enough hours in the day to do everything. So when you have to manage both the operational business of of cybersecurity as well as the 
externalized pieces with regulatory and internal audit and the board, as well as managing the business of security in terms of the people, the succession planning, the finances, the commercial viability pieces as well, just meant that there wasn't enough hours in the day to, to do everything. So being able to look at that holistically and understand straight away the importance of having a formalized deputy SISO function to be able to, I guess, handle a lot of the run pieces for your uh, business and for your organization itself would be another learning that I would, I would call out for people that are moving into this role, just to make sure that you can balance the appropriateness of the SISO having to do a lot of the upward management and the sideways management, and then having the deputy be able to have the skills to run the, the BAU operation of your of your business, which means that you've got a great tag team and a great spread of skills across those two particular capabilities in order to be successful in the role. Well, Hank, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I got some new insights, just not just as you professionally, but also kind of personally. So thank you for sharing that with uh, all of our listeners today. Thanks for the time, Sean. It was uh, fun catching up and sharing experiences, and I hope to do this again with you sometime in the near future. Thank you. You've been listening to the CISO's Gambit. I'm your host, Sean Cordero. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a comment and subscribe. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.